First reading is Psalm 88. O Lord, God of my salvation, when at night I cry out in your presence, let my prayer come before you, incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near at Sheol. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm like those who have no help, like those forsaken among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves, Selah. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a thing of horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call on you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the shades rise up to praise you? Salah. Is your steadfast love declared in the grave, or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness, or your saving help in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, I cry out to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast me off? Why do you hide your face from me? Wretched and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am desperate. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dread assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. From all sides they close in on me. You have caused friend and neighbour to shun me. My companions are in darkness. The second reading is Matthew chapter 27, verses 45 to 50. From noon on, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And about three o'clock, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they said, this man is calling for Elijah. At once, one of them ran and got a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a stick and gave it him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. Then Jesus cried again with a loud voice and breathed his last. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. This sermon I have entitled Kicking the Darkness, which is a quote I will come back to at the end and tell you where it comes from. But another quote to begin. Michel de Montaigne, the great philosopher of the French Renaissance, famously said, that the ceaseless labour of your life is to build the house of death. And in our psalm for today, as part of our summer series with the psalms, we find ourselves hearing the words of someone who is themselves face to face with the reality of death. Psalm 88 confronts us with the unremitting reality of mortality. And it reminds us that we are all on a journey that can only end one way, which is, of course, with the ending of our own lives. 
Unusually amongst the Psalms, Psalm 88 offers no glimmer of hope, no flicker of light. There's no sudden turn to praise that we get in some of the other Psalms that start bleak and then suddenly halfway through go, but nonetheless, I will praise the Lord. There's no remission within this Psalm from its angry cry of pain. These are the unadorned words of someone for whom life is simply intolerable. Someone whose daily experience is, in their view, no better than death itself. And we don't get any clear answers from the psalm itself as to what the cause of the writer's distress might be. But I'm sure we all recognise the symptoms that they're describing. This is someone haunted by those night demons that steal our sleep and in its place plant seeds of doubt and anxiety. This is someone living with depression, facing anxious thoughts and feelings of dread. This is someone whose body is failing and fading as their energy saps and their faculties wane. This is someone facing social isolation, someone distanced from their family, friends and support structures. In fact, this is someone who describes their life as like being already dead, beyond hope, cut off from life. And the despairing writer of this psalm uses two images to describe their experience of lifeless futility. In verse 3, they say that their life draws near to Sheol. And in verses 4 and 6, they say they have been put into the depths of the pit. Both these words, Sheol and the pit, are found elsewhere in the Hebrew Bible, and they describe the darkness and loneliness of the grave. Just to be clear though, this is not some vision of a kind of purgatorial afterlife where fiery suffering is experienced as a punishment for sins committed or as an atonement for transgression. Those beliefs come much later in the Hebrew tradition and into the Christian tradition. At this stage, that is not what is in mind when this author is talking about Sheol and the pit. Rather, the language of Sheol and the pit is used to capture the writer's sense of being cut off, cut off from the land of the living, cut off from God, cut off from all that makes for life. And as we start to enter into this language that comes down to us from the ancient Hebrew tradition, I want to ask a question of us. I wonder what the pit might be in your life. I wonder what the language of Sheol might mean for you. Maybe it's mental or physical ill health. Maybe it's relationship breakdown or bereavement. Maybe it's debilitating feelings, perhaps of shame or guilt. If you can dare to answer this question, 
What I wonder is the pit that you fear in your life. Maybe you've already been there and have plumbed the deep depths of despair. Maybe you've already experienced the darkness closing in on you and found yourself powerless to resist it. Or it might be that you're in the pit today, desperate for release and angry and hurt and confused that other people seem able to carry on living while you are cut off, consigned and condemned to a very different kind of existence. If you see yourself in this language, then maybe this is a psalm for you. And something I want to draw our attention to is that the writer is abundantly clear that the cause of their lifeless experience rests nowhere other than with God. The accusatory language of the psalm builds as it goes through, as the psalmist directs their litany of complaint towards God. Did you notice it? You remember me no more. I am cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit. Your wrath lies heavy on me. You overwhelm me with all of your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a thing of horror to them. Lord, why do you cut me off? Why do you hide your face from me? I suffer your terrors. I'm desperate. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dread assaults destroy me. You have caused friend and neighbour to shun me. The blame here if there is blame to be apportioned, rests fair and square with God. This is the cry of a believer whose life has gone terribly wrong and who has come to the firm conclusion that the cause of their distress lies unambiguously in God's court. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago when I was preaching on Psalm 1, I introduced us to the idea of the Deuteronomic perspective. This is the idea that we find in the book of Deuteronomy and some other biblical texts, that a person's suffering is the result of their actions in some way, a consequence maybe of sin or their lack of faithfulness. And I said at the time that there were alternative perspectives on suffering in the Bible, such as the book of Job, where a person's suffering is absolutely not presented as the consequence of the sufferer's actions. Well, Psalm 88 is another one of those counter-testimonies that argues against the deuteronomic perspective. The writer is not suffering because of something they've done. There is nothing in their life that means they deserve what's happening to them. And so the only conclusion they can come to is that God is the cause of their pain, the source of their darkness, that God has driven them into the pit and left them there. And so in this psalm, we meet this barrage of pure anger addressed at God for God's actions, or more properly, anger at God for God's lack of action. Because God is silent in this psalm, there is no word from the Lord to offer reassurance or sustenance. Unlike Psalm 23, where the writer journeys through the valley of the shadow of death, there is no rod or staff to comfort. There is no table being prepared in the presence of the writer's enemies. 
God is silent, inactive. And so the writer of Psalm 88 concludes, God is culpable. This psalm makes no attempt to put words into God's mouth. There are no speculative answers to the question of theodicy, of how a good God can permit the righteous to suffer. Unlike Psalm 46, there's no promise that God is a strength and a refuge. God is not spoken of as an ever-present help in times of trouble. Rather, Psalm 88 uncompromisingly confronts the harsh reality of an experience of God's absence in the face of life's difficulties. What is fascinating, though, is that despite the writer's suffering and despite their rage against God for God's inaction and inactivity and despite their accusations that God is liable for their plight, the writer of Psalm 88 doggedly continues to address God. They're not going to let God off the hook. Surely it would have been so easy for them to see in their experience of suffering the final clinching proof of the non-existence of God, as Douglas Adams once put it. Atheism is only one step away in this psalm. And one of the main reasons for people walking away from faith or rejecting religion altogether, of course, in our world, is the persistent problem of suffering. As Stephen Fry memorably puts it, you can't just say there is a God because the world is beautiful. You have to account for bone cancer in children. But just as Job refused to curse God in the depths of his misery, so also the writer of Psalm 88 refuses to deny God's existence on the basis of their own experience of wretchedness. God may be silent, God may be inactive, God may be guilty, but God is not let off the hook. And as many who have tried to walk away from God in the midst of their pain have discovered, sometimes the best, in fact, sometimes the only place to direct anger at God is at God. And so the psalmist keeps speaking, crying and shouting at God, railing against the injustice of their life. Just as the Israelite slaves in Egypt kept praying to God for deliverance, generation after generation, when nothing seemed to be happening. So the psalmist of Psalm 88 refuses to give up, crying out to an absent and silent God the truth of their experience of injustice in their life. But by the end of the psalm, there is no answer. God remains silent and distant in this psalm. If you want a happy ending, read a different psalm. And we might well wonder what a psalm like this is doing in our Bible. And the answer is surely that it absolutely has to be there. Because for some of us, this is exactly our experience of life. This psalm matters so much because it is faith facing the life of suffering. 
Where does the believer go when they feel abandoned, betrayed and cut off from all that previously made life worthwhile? Where does the believer go when they find God utterly distant? Where does the believer go when they can speak little other than anger at the God who allows no, who causes their pain? Well, this is why Psalm 88 is here. And it tells us that even from the bottom of the pit, God can still be addressed. It shows us that even if what needs to be said is nothing other than pure, unadulterated anger, God can still be addressed. It demonstrates that even if God remains silent towards us, we do not have to remain silent towards God. And I think as Christians, this psalm takes us to the foot of the cross. With Jesus uttering his cry of dereliction, itself, of course, a quote from another psalm. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Our psalm for this morning challenges us in our understanding of God's action in Jesus at the crucifixion. And it gives the lie to every theology of glory. It exposes as inadequate every theology of easy resolution. And it questions every theology of ready answers. Because sometimes the experience of the faithful, and indeed the experience of Jesus himself, is that life is shameful rather than admirable, unsettled rather than resolved, and full of doubt rather than certainty. And as those who find themselves like Jesus at the cross in that place of darkness, any Christian theology of easy answers, ready glory, happy songs, they don't work. You don't always get to the happy ending in life. And as Matthew's account of the crucifixion makes clear, the cross is the moment of divine abandonment. It is God in Jesus entering fully, utterly and absolutely into the depths of the human experience of suffering and tragedy and loss. It is a view of the cross predicated on faithfulness in the face of divine desertion. Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? He does not say, I do not believe that there is a God. And those who follow the way of the cross are called to continue speaking into the darkness, to continue speaking against the darkness, to faithfully articulate our anger, our pain and our rage at the overwhelming futility of life. The Welsh poet Dylan Thomas understood this compulsion to speak the painful truth. You know the poem, I'm sure. Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. 
I think he'd have liked Psalm 88. It offers us a moment of absolute realism in a book full of so many stories of faith. Sometimes the human experience demands of us words to address God which avoid the easy, cheap talk of resolution. Sometimes for God's people to be God's people, their sole task is to continue to address God even in the face of God's unresponsive absence. And sometimes all that there is left for them, indeed for us, to do is to speak, shout and cry to God at the injustice of it all. Not in any expectation that God will resolve our problems, not in any certainty that God will hear our cry, but because the injustice needs to be named. One of my favourite musical artists is the Canadian singer-songwriter Bruce Coburn, and I'm going to give him the last word. Nothing worth having comes without some kind of fight. You've got to kick at the darkness until it bleeds daylight. As we respond uh, to this difficult psalm, not often preached on, uh, I'm going to lead us in a, a guided meditation, uh, which is going to be based on a text you probably don't know. It's from the Apocrypha. Uh, it's an expansion of Daniel chapter 3. So it is in your Bible if you have a, an Apocrypha Bible. It's called the Prayer of Azariah. And it, it's set at that point in the story of Daniel where the three friends have refused to bow down to the golden image of Nebuchadnezzar and are thrown into the fiery furnace. And the three friends, uh, most commonly known as Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, uh, the names they're given in Babylon, but their Hebrew names are Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So Azariah is the Hebrew name for Abednego, one of the three thrown into the fiery furnace. And I'm going to read a few excerpts from the prayer of Azariah. And I'm just going to read these with some pauses. And I'd invite you to let these lesser heard words of wider scripture speak to us in the light of Psalm 88 and Jesus on the cross. They walked around in the midst of the flames, singing hymns to God and blessing the Lord. Then the three with one voice praised and glorified and blessed God in the furnace. Bless the Lord. All you works of the Lord, sing praise to him and highly exalt him forever. Bless the Lord, you heavens. Sing praise to him and highly exalt him forever. Bless the Lord, you angels of the Lord. Sing praise to him and highly exalt him forever. Bless the Lord, all you waters above the heavens. Sing praise to him and highly exalt him forever. Bless the Lord, all you powers of the Lord. Sing praise to him and highly exalt him forever. Bless the Lord, sun and moon. Sing praise to him 
and highly exalt him forever. Bless the Lord, stars of heaven. Sing praise to him and highly exalt him forever. Bless the Lord, all rain and dew. Sing praise to him and highly exalt him forever. Bless the Lord, all you winds. Sing praise to him and highly exalt him forever. Bless the Lord, fire and heat. Sing praise to him and highly exalt him forever. Bless the Lord, winter cold and summer heat. Sing praise to him and highly exalt him forever. Bless the Lord, falling snow. Sing praise to him and highly exalt him forever. Bless the Lord, nights and days. Sing praise to him and highly exalt him forever. Bless the Lord, light and darkness. Sing praise to him and highly exalt him forever. Bless the Lord, ice and cold. Sing praise to him and highly exalt him forever. Bless the Lord, frosts and snows. Sing praise to him and highly exalt him forever. Bless the Lord, lightnings and clouds. Sing praise to him and highly exalt him forever. Let the earth bless the Lord. Let it sing praise to him and highly exalt him forever. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. All who worship the Lord, bless the God of gods. Sing praise to him and give thanks to him, for his mercy endures forever. Amen. Let us pray. Loving God in heaven, we come together in prayer from many places. From despair at injustice, from hope for the future, from fatigue at the effort, from the inspiration of shared experiences. We come to you in prayer, trusting that our hopes, fears, doubts and dreams will be heard even when we see no evidence of change or response. Lord, hear our prayer. We lift to you a world that is experiencing the impact of climate change. Heat domes in the USA and Canada, flooding in Europe and China, drought and famine in Ethiopia. We lift to you the response to these changes. May we see the world react with leadership in global policy, changes in business practice, 
and modifications to individual lifestyles to reduce the future changes. Show each of us how we can respond to improve resilience to the changes that have already occurred and to provide relief to the current suffering. Lord, hear our prayer. As COVID restrictions are eased, we recognise that many will react differently from joy at meeting friends and family, relief at reopening businesses and the return of work and income, or fear as case numbers rise and COVID wards reopen. We pray for care and honesty in our leadership. We lift to you all the medical and support staff who, tired after 18 months, look fearfully at the efforts yet to come and ask where is your hand at work. Please give them the strength to continue in service, the courage to face the challenges ahead and the support around them to show we have not overlooked their efforts that they have made and continue to offer. Lord, hear our prayer. Finally, we lift to you the staff, ministers, deacons and members of this congregation as we work through the decisions of last week's church meeting. We pray for Dawn and her family as they work out her new role and look for new accommodation. We pray for James and Solvita as they see their roles change or end. We pray for the deacons, officers and members as we seek a tenant for the basement. May we all remember that our focus needs to be on seeking to fulfil our vision for your purpose, provoking faith in the heart of London. Lord, hear our prayer. We lift these prayers to you in hope and faith that we will be heard. Amen. So go into God's world with love, joy, hope and faith in your hearts. And may the blessing of Almighty God, creator, redeemer and sustainer, be with you all evermore. Amen.